Okay, good morning. So, the, 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 perasha, the, the perasha that we read this week is Kitisa. And in this week's perasha, we focus really on the incident of the golden calf. But before we get into the text, uh, I, I have a question to ask. So the question that we start the class, we'll start it with this, is who collected the gold to build the golden calf? Who collected all the gold? It seems, seems like Aaron collected all the gold. They put it in his hands. Who built the golden calf? Seems like he did. Seems like, it seems, it says Aaron did it. And who built the altar in front of the golden calf? Again, it's Aaron. So the question is, how is that possible? We know that there are three cardinal sins for which a person is required to give their life. What are those, what are the cardinal sins? According to Rambam, Maimonides, he writes in Hilchot Yisodea Torah, he writes, what is the source that idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder should not be committed even to save a life? He says, we see in Shema every day, all your heart. He says, all your soul, and all your might. He says that we interpret all your soul to mean, even at the cost of one soul, one should not worship idolatry. And we have a similar, where he brings proof for murder and proof for sexual immorality. And each day we pray, we say in the Shema, Ve'ahavta, and we quote this verse, that we should love Hashem with all our souls. Which means we have to remember that we have to be willing to sacrifice our lives in case it comes down to it. In fact, the Ben Yishchai writes, we read every day in the Amidah, in the Shemona Esre, Umevi Goel, God who brings the Redeemer, Livnebenehem, to their children's children, Leman Shemo, for the sake of his name, and the last word is Be'ahava, in love. So the Venishai writes, lemilat When a person comes to the word Be'ahava in the Amidah, al He has to have in mind to be willing to give his life for the sake of Hashem. As is mentioned in the, the writings of the, the Arizal. And therefore, the custom of the righteous, that the chazan during the repetition, he should extend the word in order to, to uh, express this thought. And every person should be careful in all of his silent prayer, to be willing to give over his life when saying this word during the Amidah. So if this is the case, how do we begin to understand the behavior of Aaron? And how do we understand even more that he seems to be rewarded for this behavior and he's given the high priesthood? So we all hear stories of the golden calf. And we were just talking now how in many of our minds, the stories that we see of the Exodus and the image we have of Moses is depending on a person's age is from, is from the movie, The Ten Commandments. You know, we still see Yul Brenner is, you know, is Pharaoh and uh, Moses is Charlton Heston. And if you're thinking about it, you saw in the movie, that, you know, Moses comes down from the mountain and he has the tablets in his hands and he sees them uh, circling around this, uh, this gold uh, idol. 
And what does he do? He throws the tablets, the ground opens, swallows them all up. And we seem that's, that's the story. But if we look in the Chumash itself, we see the story is really not like that. So if we look and we, we want to look, and you'll see if you look in the Chumash in chapter 32. And I'm going to go through the Chumash with just Rashi and then try to explain it based on the Arizal and the Zohar. So it says, if you want to pull a Chumash, more than welcome. So we see in the in the beginning of the in the beginning in the beginning of the chapter it starts, Vayar Ha'am, and the nation saw, Ki Boshesh Moshe Laredet Min Ha'ad. So this is chapter thirty-two, verse one. Vayar Ha'am Ki Boshesh Moshe Laredet Min Ha'ad. So the the people saw that Moshe was was delayed in returning. In, in coming down from the mountain. It's interesting we use the word boshesh. Boshesh is also considered beshesh. Had Moses come down six hours or had they waited six more hours, everything would have changed. This same idea of boshesh, beshesh, relates to Adam and Chava because had Adam and Chava waited, ay, had waited six more hours, one of the books, well, had waited six more hours before eating from the tree, or before being together, then the whole sin from that would have been you. So the, the, the first thing the, the commentaries say is, Ki boshesh Moshe, our biggest problem as Jews is we lack patience. We always lack patience. So they see Moshe is boshesh, is delayed, laredet min hahad, to come down from the mountain, vayikahel ha'am al aharon. So the nation gathers around Aharon. Now we always said before, when it says Ha'am, we mentioned when we were speaking about what is the word Ha'am versus B'nai Israel. Am is generally related to the mixed multitude, the extra people that came with Moshe from Egypt at the time of the Exodus. But Yomer Elav, they said to him, Kum, get up. Aser lanu Elohim, make for us a God. What does that mean, God? that will go in front of us. So in their mind, Elohim is related to a malach, an angel. Because this Moses, Ha'ish, they're specifically referring to Moses as a man. Who brought us up out of Egypt? We have no idea what happened to him. goes so far that Rashi brings that Satan was playing with them and showed them a coffin in heaven, that Moshe is dead. And if Moshe is dead, then they're in trouble. But if Moshe is dead, Moshe has only been their leader for a year. Who was their leader for all the years before Moshe showed up? He hasn't, it, it, it may not even be a year. Who was their leader before all the years before Moshe showed up? Aharon, his brother. So why not go to Aharon and tell Aharon, okay, what do we do? Why do they tell Aaron specifically that he has to make it Elohim, a God to lead us? Aaron is a Navi. He could take over. Most of the Chachamim say, Ramban, Rambam, Ibn Ezra, Tosfot, that they never meant to make a statue for Avodazara, that this was not going to be considered idolatry. They thought they needed to have some level of a mediator between them and Hashem, between them and God. And that's why they're calling this Elohim. And if you look at what the image is, what did they make? They made a golden calf. 
Now, if we consider, it says that when we cross the sea, they said, This is my God, and I will serve him. Now, when we see, what did they see as God? They saw God, they saw the vision that we see from Isaiah, that we see the image, and they saw this image of God being carried on the throne, whatever that means, by the angels. And if we see the description of the angels, the description of the angels shows the angels that they have a foot of a calf. Some say they threw in the, the yeah, we'll get to that. So they say, but, but in their mind, the, this calf represented the angel Gabriel. Because Gabriel is on the left side, related to shore, related to ox. And they thought this is the angel Gabriel, is a representative of the angel Gabriel that should lead them. What do they say? So Aaron says to them, Go to your wives and take out their, their uh, earrings and the earrings of your children and bring those, the gold, to me. So now it seems that Aaron is facilitating this whole idea of building a calf. What does Rashi say? Rashi said he was hoping that if he tells them, go to their wives and ask them for their jewelry, their wives are going to tell him, no. And he's going to be able to delay until Moshe gets back. He was looking at this point, according to Rashi, any delay tactic that Rashi quotes from Midrash Tanhuma. Next pasuk. Vayikach miyadam. He says that Aharon actually took the jewelry from their hands. And this is part of the issue because he took it in his own hands. And he makes a solid, solid kef. And they said, not him, These are your gods, Israel. Who took you out from the land of Egypt. This is again, very, very strange. How is it possible? So like you just mentioned, the Midrash tells us, Rashi quotes, that they took the gold, they threw it into this bath of gold. This, uh, and what happened was there were two magicians who had the plaque that Moshe Rabbeinu had thrown into the sea to bring up the coffin of Joseph. The plaque said, Aleshor, rise up ox. On the back side of it, it had the Shem HaMeforash, God's name. He threw it in the water, and when the coffin came up, the plaque was on the coffin. One person took this plaque, the magicians got hold of it, throw it into this gold, bubbling gold, and what emerges? What emerges is a calf, and the Midrash that Rashi quotes says this calf comes out jumping and singing and dancing and eating the grass. So they create this hard-to-imagine object, 40 days after they came out of Egypt, everyone knows that Hashem took us out. So how is it that they could point to this calf and say, these are the gods who took us out of Egypt? The only way to understand that is that they see this calf as, like we said, a representative of the angel Gabriel. Now it says, Vayad Aharon. So Aharon saw, Vayiben Mizbeach. He builds an altar, lefanav, in front of this calf. 
Vayikra Aharon, and Aharon calls out, Vayomar, and he says, Chag Ladonai Machar. Tomorrow will be a holiday to God. And how do we, again, how do we understand? He sees Aharon, says Rashi, that the work of Satan had succeeded. He had no words to completely stall them. So he said that we're going to build an altar to God, not the calf. We says Yudke Vavke, he uses Hashem's name. When are we going to use it? Tomorrow. So he was hoping that by tomorrow, Moses is going to be back and we're all done. The Midrash Rabbah on, on, uh, on Vayikra writes, Aharon saw many things. He saw that his sister's son, Miriam, had a son. His name was Hur. If you remember in the war against Amalek, Moshe had to raise his arms up. When Moshe raised his arms, Joshua was fighting against Amalek, and his arms became heavy. And the Pasuk says, how did he keep his arms up? They put a rock, but there was one person who held one arm, was Aaron, and the other person held the other arm, was Hur, who was the son of Miriam, who was his nephew. It says Hur was a Navi. It says that, that he saw that they killed Hur. What happened? When they wanted to build this calf, Hur stepped up and said, Hey, we can't do serve idolatry. How could we do that? We just heard the Ten Commandments. How is it possible 40 days after the Ten Commandments that you're going to build an idol? Stop. And like we said in the beginning, one of the things a person has to give their life for is to prevent idolatry. So he came up to try to stop them. What did the people do? They killed him. He's the first one to die, it seems as a Jew, to stop, to try to stop idolatry. So it says, what did Aaron see? Aaron saw that they killed Hur. Says the Midrash, when it says, Vayiben, Vayiben Aaron, Aaron built, the word Vayiben also, it has a connotation of Bina. What's Bina? Understanding. Understanding. So Aaron understood, Vayiben, he understood, Mi Zavuach lefanav. So it says, it says he understood and he built a Mizbeach in front of him. Yeah? Can I, sorry, to just, uh, which parasha is this? So this is parasha Kitisaf. You want to take one of the books? It's chapter 32, where the first few verses of the, of the chapter. So he says, instead of reading, Vayiben Mizbeach lefanav, he built an altar in front of him. The Midrash is saying, He's saying that we should read it. Vayiven, he understood. Mizevach, from the slaughter. Lefanav, in front of him. He understood from the killing of Hor that something would happen. Says that, that he understood and he said, if they go and they kill Hor, which they did, and then they kill me, it fulfills a verse that says they killed a Navi and a Kohen on the same day. And then the Israel had done for. He says, if they killed Hur and they also kill me, then there's no redemption for B'nai Israel. It's over. Hashem has to wipe them out. That's what's done. So he says, he saw the situation and he said, better I should be blamed and not them. Vayiven, he understood. Mizevach, from the slaughter of Hur that was in front of him, that he had to do something now. 
and he says it's going to be a festival Chag Hashem. In his heart, he meant he meant heaven. He knew Moshe is going to be back. He was hoping that Moshe would be back the next morning before they would worship the calf. But what happens? It says They woke up early the next day. And they offered sacrifices. So if we remember, when Hashem came to give them the, the, the Ten Commandments, why do we stay up all night Shavuot? One of the reasons we say is because when Hashem came to give us the Ten Commandments, what happened? We were sleeping. We slept late. But when it comes to serving the Avodah Zarah, what does it say? They got up early. They offered sacrifices. They gave shelamim. And the nation sat to eat. This chateau and to drink. So they made it a party. And the next word is really the one that tells us really what's going on. And they rose up to, how do you translate lesachek? To play. But what does it mean play? So Rashi writes, lesachek is a connotation of sexual immorality. He says that, the, that and, and he brings quotes from, from, the, from the Navi. He says, what were they trying to do, Rashi? He says, all this was, was that they didn't want to be subject anymore to the laws that God gave us. They like got to the point, they said, what did we get into? We can't do whatever we want. We want to be free. That's, he, that's what Rashi is bringing based on the Midrash, the purpose behind the Egel. And then the next pasuk says, Adonai el Moshe. Now Hashem starts to talk to Moshe. Lech, go, red, go down. Go down because your people are worshipping the golden calf. Kishichet amecha. Because your, your people, what do you mean your people? It's like I said always, but it's, it's very funny. We see this often in the Torah. Mother and father fight. The mother says, you know, the kid is doing, your kid. Your kid, what about our kid? Not my says, but why Amecha? Because Hashem says to Moshe, who is it behind all of this? It's the Erev Rav that you allowed to join you when you left Egypt. He only tells him, Lech Red, go down now, after the words that we saw that they came to play. So based on this, many of the rabbis say, this wasn't a sin of idolatry. Their intent was to have some sort of a medium between them and God because they didn't understand otherwise. But when it came from being something in a way, Leshem Shamaim, to throwing off the yoke of heaven, that's when Hashem tells Moshe, go down, because this nation that you brought, you brought from Egypt. Who's the nation you brought? We said the Erebrav. Now we're going to try to understand Aaron. So we've been speaking in this class how we are not only who we are in this life, but we are who we were in a previous life. And we're going to see that Aharon is greatly affected by who the Ari says he was in a previous life. He says, and to understand this, we're going to understand how Hashem brings things together so perfectly, allowing us to peek into this and to comfort us that we could be sure that when everything seems haywire in life, Hashem is taking care to bring things together in a perfect way. So we begin with the question. Why was Aaron HaKohen subjected to this devastating ordeal of making the, 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 the Egel? Why did Hashem put him in this test? 
it's quite obvious that we can't accept this at face value. Because Aharon, you could say, he failed the test. The people came, said, build us, he built it, made the whole thing, and then puts the, the altar in front of it. Because we see that Hashem goes later on and he has tremendous confidence in Aharon. And what happens after this? He makes Aharon, as we saw in last week's parasha, which is actually after this event, he makes Aharon what? The Kohen Gadol, the high priest. He's the one who's going to go into the, to the Kodesh HaKodeshim on Yom Kippur to get forgiveness for all the people. The Tanakh in Devera Yamim states, the sons of Amram, who were they? Aharon and Moshe. And it says, and Aharon was set apart to sanctify Hashem as holy of holies. So we see that Aharon and his descendants are always set aside to serve Hashem and to bless His name forever. So how can we say, on the one hand, how can we justify that Aharon makes the Egel, makes the altar, and then on the other hand, how is he not punished if we said that a person is supposed to die before they do Abu Dazara? This was this this seems was his alter, his alternative. He seems How come he, can come with alternative? he was hoping that he would first delay by getting the jewelry late. The second, he was hoping to delay by making it himself instead of them making it quickly. The third, he would hope to delay was by making the altar and telling them come back tomorrow. So he was hoping to take. It's it's, it's one of the things the rabbis say. Whenever the the yetzer hara comes to you and tells you to do something wrong. What should you tell the Yetzer Hara? Never tell the Yetzer Hara no. Tell the Yetzer Hara tomorrow. Tomorrow. Because that's the trick the Yetzer Hara does to us. We're going to do something good. And the Yetzer Hara doesn't tell us not to do it. It says, tomorrow. Because tomorrow, she never come. Okay? That's what he was hoping, that tomorrow wouldn't come. Right, so so on the so on the one hand we're saying he did something terribly wrong. He should have been willing to kill himself. He doesn't die for it. On the other hand, he's not only not punished, it seems, he's rewarded. How do we understand? We don't know if his kids we don't know if they got killed for this. It's easy it's easy to say that. Yes, I agree with you. We could say the first two kids got killed. All four would have got killed. Moshe interceded, saved the second two. Maybe that related to Chetayegel. But it seems from here, from the Ari, he's, and, and this is based on the teaching of Rav Pinchas Friedman, who quotes the Ari. It says, Hashem reincarnates Neshamot in order to rectify them. And we've been speaking every week about Gilgul. So that no Neshama is lost. So we're going to take a step back. We're going to go back to the book of Bereshit, between the end of Parashat Noach and the beginning of Parashat Lech Lecha, when we meet Avraham Avinu, we're going to meet Abraham. And there it tells us, Vayamot Haran, Haran died, al Terach Aviv, in front of the face of Terach, his father, Be'eretz Moladeto, in the land of his birth, Be'ur Kastim, in the, the city of Ur Kastim. So the Pasuk is just telling us about a certain person. We know, obviously, it is Abraham's brother. 
because Abraham's father is Terach. So it tells us that Abraham's brother, Haran, died in front of his father in Ur Kastim. What's the story of him dying? With, with the fire. So it says, we're all familiar with the Midrash. Abraham's father, Terach, it was probably the chief astrologer and a sort of high priest to Nimrod the king. Nimrod is the king of the known world or civilization at the time. We know the story of Abraham destroying the idols, but at least according to Ramban, these idols had power. And now he says that what happened? Terach took Abraham and gave him over to Nimrod. Imagine you're going to complain about a dysfunctional family. His father, who was the chief astrologer, high priest to Nimrod, when he sees his son is not following the ways of the idolatry, takes his own son and brings him to Nimrod. And Nimrod says to Abraham, let's worship the fire. And Abraham says, you know, Nimrod, fire may be very powerful, but water puts out fire. So Nimrod says, you know what, Avraham? Let's worship the water. And Avraham says, you know, Nimrod, water is very powerful, but the water comes from the clouds. And he says, okay, let's worship the clouds. And then Avraham says to Nimrod, this is the Midrash, but the wind pushes the clouds. So he says, okay, let's worship the wind. Then Avraham said to him, should we not worship the human who withstands the wind? A person could stand. The wind doesn't do anything to him. So what does Nimrod say? You're playing with me? Worship the fire or I'm going to throw you into the fire. In Ur Kasdim, they called it Ur Kasdim, the city, because in the center of the city, there was a fire that burned. And this powerful fire was fed constantly. And this is where they threw their sacrifices in, which probably included human sacrifice at the time. So he says to him, Either you worship the fire, or I'm throwing you into the fire. Now we say, what are one of the, what are the, the cardinal sins that a person shouldn't go, shouldn't should be able to willing to give their life? We said that worshiping Avodazara. So Abraham says, no, I'm not denying the God who I believe created everything, and Nimrod puts him into the fire, and they say the miracle was that he stayed in this fire for three days. And not only did he stay in the fire for three days, people could see him in the fire fine. Now his brother, Haran, is standing outside with all the people. And Abraham emerges from the fire. And the king says to Haran, are you with Abraham or are you with me? So Haran says, of course I'm with my brother. And he goes into the fire. And what happens to Haran? He dies in the fire immediately. And the Pasuk says that Haran died in front of his father in Ur Kastim. So it seems that Haran was really the first one to die Al Kiddush Hashem. Because he was given a choice worship the, worship the fire or go into the fire. But he died. So what should the response be? What should the response be? Shouldn't we say Haran is this great, great person? And the question is, should we expect miracles in life? But the Midrash explains that we wouldn't know what he was thinking. 
But the Midrash goes into the mind of Haran and tells us that Haran was thinking, what should I do? If Abraham wins, I'm going to say I'm with Abraham. And if with Nimrod wins, I'm going to say I'm with Nimrod. The Arizal teaches us something unbelievable. He says to us that we have to understand, if we understand the story, why did Haran die? Because Haran went into the fire because he saw his brother emerges from the fire and he's going to be the most famous person in the world. And he says, hey, I want to be that. I want to be like that. So he goes into the fire, but because his thoughts weren't really fire, worshipping fire or the other, it was, it was basically him saying, I'll be with whoever wins, he dies. Says the Arizal, that Aharon HaKohen was a Gilgul, was a reincarnation, and a Tikkun for Haran, the brother of Abraham. Let's go, you're going to see how clear it is. Recall that he sacrificed his life in Ur Kasdim in order to sanctify the holy name. However, his, his act wasn't completely sincere. It possessed an element of Lolishma, not for the sake of heaven. And in some way it was tainted. According to the Ari, it was precisely for this reason that Haran subsequently reincarnates into Aaron Kohen, who rectified the shortcoming. We see in Sha'ar HaGilgulim, the name, how do you spell Aharon? Aleph, Hey, Resh, Nun. Aharon. How do you spell Haran? Hey, Resh, Nun. What's the difference? The Aleph in front of the Haran. What is the Aleph? It says, Haran came to make amends for the sin of Adam HaRishon, who worshipped Avodazara. Not only did he not make amends, but even on this occasion, he demonstrated a lack of faith of Hashem, in, in Hashem until Abraham came out. Once Abraham came out, he goes in, but he's in, incinerated. And what happens? He's reincarnated into Aharon, who has to fix this sin. Regarding that the contention that Haron was obligated to make amends for Adam Harishon's sin of Avodah Zarah, where does Adam have Avodah Zarah? It's when the snake comes to, Aaron and Chava, to, to, to Adam and Chava and says, once you eat, you're going to be like God. This is like Avodah Zarah. And that's why they eat. So Haran came to be able to fix the sin of Adam Harishon. He says, Haran was required to sacrifice his life and be consumed by the fire for the sake of Kedushat of, of Kedusha Hashem. Yet his act was not truly Lashem Shamayim because he didn't choose to enter the furnace until he saw Abraham come out. And therefore he's reincarnated into Aharon HaKohen who has to fix it. And we see this alluded, says the Ari, by his name. Haran becomes Aharon. Same exact. Oh, that was the the uh, the police office, the 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 army guy, airport. So so now how so now we're going to try to understand 
How exactly did Aharon make amends for Haran's defective act of self-sacrifice? If you're going to tell me that he made amends, then what should he have done? When the people came to ask him to build the Egel, what should he have done? He should have done like Hur and said, No! Had they killed him, then what would have happened? He would have fixed the sin of Haran. He would have died al Kidush Hashem. In fact, he actually makes the Egel. He facilitates this whole aspect of Al-Vodazara. He didn't have enough faith. Who didn't have enough faith? Well, he didn't have enough faith. He would, he would say, I'm not going to do it and God would save him. Let's try to understand. So he says, from the words of the Ari, it's apparent that the Aleph added to Haran's name to form Aharon is instrumental in the Tikkun. Hence, we have to explain the significance of this letter Aleph. Let's review the Pesukim. Aharon saw, and he builds a Mizbeach. Aharon says, a festival to Hashem tomorrow. Rashi comments that he saw Hur get killed, and he didn't want to kill. And we said, Vayiven, he understood, Mizevach, from the slaughter, Lefanav, in front of him. He understood that they killed Hur. If they kill me, they're done. It's over. They kill the prophet, and they kill the Navi in the same day. No coming back. So he says, this is what, the, what he says. It says, better that the foulness be attributed to me and not to them. He wanted to accept the responsibility that the whole idol of the, the golden calf should be on who? On him and not on someone else. You know, it's interesting. A question came up. I was here two weeks ago. We had a question about someone who lost someone and they, could they get in a car, not get in a car. And I don't know why it came on me. I guess I'm the old man. And I gave them a Pesach halacha. And that Pesach is on the person who gives it. If you go to a rabbi and you ask the rabbi what to do, and he tells you what to do, and you do it, it's not on you. If it's right or wrong, it's not on you. It's on that person's shoulders. That's why you ask a question. Because it's not on you. It's on that person's shoulders. So in this case, everything now, Aharon is saying, is on my shoulders. So Aharon HaKohen chooses to make the Egel for the people rather than sacrificing his life for Kiddushat Hashem because he already saw that they murdered Hur and had he refused, they would have killed him and there would have been no forgiveness B'nai Israel. Says in the Gemara Sanhedrin, he saw Hur slaughtered before him. He figured if I do not do as they wish, they're going to do to me what they did to Hur and they'll fulfill through me the words of the Pasuk, should a Kohen and a Navi be killed in the sanctuary of Hashem. It's from Echa, Im Yiharog B'mikdash Hashem Kohen V'Navi. As a consequence, if they do it, Aaron says, there's never going to be a remedy. Therefore, it's better that I make the Egel, leaving open a possibility of forgiveness for them, and let it all come on me. He accepted upon himself the blame for making the Egel in order to save B'nai Israel from extermination. In this merit, Hashem chose him to be the Kohen Gadol, the one who performs the service on Yom Kippur on behalf of all the people in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Because what does he say? I accept upon me everything to save them. Hashem says to Aaron, for your loving righteousness, you tried to save my children, not wanting them to be held accountable. That, that means you're going to be the one who's going to be there for them. Aaron was indeed ready and willing to be killed for the sake of Kedush Hashem. He was willing. It would have been an easy answer. Okay. 
He says, yet he didn't do so. Now think what this means. He wanted to save Israel from annihilation. He knew if they murdered him by refusing to make the Egel, they were done. As for them, if he makes the Egel, they could still get, get uh, Teshuvah. Look what the Khatam Sofer says. He says something unbelievable. He says in Torah Moshe, there's a concept that we have called Mesirut Nefesh. How do you translate Mesirut Nefesh? Mesirut. Mesirut Nefesh. Mesirut Nefesh. What? Sacrificing myself. So we say, what's Mesirut Nefesh? We would translate it to say that what should he have done? He should have been willing to let himself get killed and not do the sin. That's Mesirut Nefesh. He says, but we don't understand what really Mesirut Nefesh means. He says, we could translate Mesirut Nefesh and Mesirut Guf. <coughs> giving my soul or giving my body. He says, what was Aharon willing to do? He says, Aharon could have said, I give my body, let them kill me, then I go to heaven because I'm a martyr. What was he willing to do? He was willing to do Mesirut Nefesh. Let the whole sin fall on me. Let me be the one responsible. Let me take the blame. That's Mesirut Nefesh. He was willing to give not his body, but his soul. He explains that the true meaning of Mesirut Nefesh is not merely sacrificing our lives for the honor of Hashem, but, but without having sacrificed our souls. Because if we perform an act that causes the forfeiture of the soul, knowing that one's soul is going to descend into hell, to be lost forever, and nevertheless, one does not stop because Hashem's going to be sanctified by this, says the Khatam Sofer, this is what we call Mesirut Nefesh. Says that, that this idea of Aaron was willing to give up everything. He says, the, he, yes, he says, the prohibition against Avodah Zarah falls into the category of be killed rather than sin. So how do we conclude that it was pref- preferable that Aaron transgress this Avera. Even more surprising, he asks, how is it possible that he became the Kohen Gadol? He says, and he brings an example. When David HaMelech's son, Avshalom, rebelled against him, if you look in the Navi, King David had a son, Avshalom, who rebelled and took over the kingdom. And David had to run and hide. When David went to run and hide, the Gemara says that David HaMelech wanted to do Avodah Zarah. And Husha, he says, I'm going to do Avodah Zarah. And he says, why would you do Avodah Zarah? He said, David, because I want to do Avodah Zarah, because what's going to happen? That the people are going to say that if I was a pious king and my son rebelled against me, then who's wrong? God. But if I did something so obviously wrong against God, then we could justify why I was punished. I would rather them look at me badly than look at God as having done something not justified. Let's go back to Ur Chastim. Haran, his shortcoming was that he witnessed his brother come out and he said, then I'm going to go in. So if you were standing there at Ur Chastim, you didn't know what he was thinking. You saw him go into the fire. What did you think when he went into the fire? You thought him going into the fire was what? was the total highest level of sanctifying the name of Hashem. But you didn't know that it wasn't true, it wasn't full, it wasn't complete, it was lacking something. It says, if Abraham was burned, he would have never gone into the fire. And therefore, his act wasn't, wasn't complete. 
This is precisely, he says, what occurs when Aharon HaKohen, now, Yisrael approaches Hor and tells them to make an Egel. He was willing to sacrifice his life not to make it for Kiddushat Hashem. So he became known through the generations as the first person of Bnei Israel to die Al Kiddush Hashem. This is Hur. They approach Aaron. They tell him the same thing. He could have said, "Okay, I'll die Al Kiddush Hashem. I'll, I'll die not to make the Egel." But he saw that if it does, they're gone. So he's saying, "I'm willing to do what to lose my soul in order to save them." He says the Chatam Sofer. He's prepared to forfeit his portion in both worlds. In order for B'nai Israel not to be destroyed. But what was his idea? It was to save B'nai Israel. So we see that Aharon's act was what? It was a level of self-sacrifices, self-sacrifice which rectified Haran's defective act of self-sacrifice. Haran went into the fire, but his thought wasn't there. Aharon didn't die, but his thought was there. What is, happens? Hashem takes the two and combines them in order to lift up Haran's original act. He was different from Haran because he did what he had to do. He chose to sacrifice his life in a certain way. He was willing, willing to sacrifice his soul, he says. He says, going from this, we understand the idea behind the Aleph that was added to Haran's name to form Aaron. The Gemara says, Barhei asks Hillel a question. It says that the Pasuk mentions the difference between a righteous person and a wicked person and between one who serves Hashem and who does not. It says, what does that mean? Isn't a Sadiq who serves Hashem and isn't a Rasha one who doesn't? Hillel answers, both of them serve Hashem, but, and they mo- both might not be completely righteous. What's the difference? He says, one who serves Hashem for the sake of Lashem Shamayim, and one who serves Hashem just so that he could be seen serving Hashem. Lashem Shamayim for the sake of heaven. I'm doing it for God or I'm doing it so that people should see me and say, hey, that guy is an important guy. The Gemara has a, has a question. They say, you can't compare a person who reviews his studies 100 times to a person who reviews his studies 101 times. And the question in the Gemara is, what do you mean? 101 versus 100? How do you say it's such a difference? He says, what's the 101? It's he's reviewing it for the Aleph. For God. He has it L'Shem Shamayim. He says that a person who has it L'Shem Shamayim, that person, that person's on a whole different level. The Sadiq is someone who serves Hashem L'Shem Shamayim for the sake of heaven. The one who's not, doesn't. So he says, how do we understand? Rabbi Meir says that anyone who forgets even a single item of his Torah, he's guilty of death. I remember when I was in first grade, Rabbi Shirazi told us this, and I tell the kid in first, if you forget anything, you're death penalty. Not a good first grade teacher. Anyway, it says that, what does it mean? It means whoever forgets the echad, the one, when he's learning. It's whoever forgets I'm learning for the sake of heaven. This is the significance of the Aleph in front of Haran's name. The significance of the Aleph is Haran becomes Aharon, because where Haran wasn't for the sake of heaven, Aharon is for the sake of heaven. In this manner, he fixes the neshama of Haran in becoming Aharon, and he becomes everything for the sake of heaven. Says Rav Zushia, he, he addresses this, this difficulty in the Gemara about how Hashem deals with us, and he says, there's a person who wants to share but lacks sufficient resources. I want to give tzedakah, but I don't have the money. 
I want to do a good deed, but I don't have the ability to do it. He says, then there's the person who has the money, but doesn't really want to do it. So there's a wealthy guy, and you come to the wealthy guy, and you say in front of people, we need you to give $1,000. He really doesn't want to give it, but you listen, he has the money, and uh, people are looking at him. So he gives the 1000 The guy next to him says, I wish I had the 1000 to be able to give it. I would have loved to give it. He says, what does Hashem do? He takes the first person who gave the money that wasn't Lashem Shamayim. His mitzvah is not complete. He can't create the angel from that mitzvah. And what does he do? The second person, what does he do? He completes the first person's mitzvah. And who gets the credit? The second person, because he completed the mitzvah of the first person. It shows you so much how important is our kavanah and our desire to do the right thing. Our, our thoughts, it's not just our words that create a reality. Our thoughts can create a reality. If I really want to do something that I'm not able to do, what does Hashem do? He doesn't take it and say, oh, he tried. No, it says it was like I did the mitzvah. If I wanted to go to the synagogue, I couldn't make it. If I wanted to go visit someone and something happened to stop me, then Hashem takes the person who did go but didn't really want to go. He combines the deed and the person who completes the mitzvah, who creates the angel, because every time we do a mitzvah, we create an angel. That person created the angel. So if I'm sending somebody to Torah class Well, you're sending someone. You're sending someone to a Torah class. So that idea is you're getting. So so that we're calling that the fruits of your efforts. So basically, if you influence someone else to do a mitzvah, when they do the mitzvah, then what happens is you get the fruits. Not only in this world, in olam haba, meaning that say I'm alive in this world. And I teach someone, and that person says, you know what, I'm going to decide to go in the proper path, and that person has children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and they all went in the proper path. Because I was the impetus that started it, that when their grandchildren are learning Torah, and I'm sitting up there in heaven, I'm getting credit from that. That's the fruits of my efforts. But the other side, that's the fruits of my efforts. Anything I do that causes, I donate a humash. Someone opens the Humash and reads from it. I get some of the credit from that. But the other side is saying, no, I want to go to the class. But because I can't go to the class because I'm working, I'm taking care of my family, I'm taking care of my kid, I still get the credit as if I went to the class from the person who went to the class only because "Eh, I got to go, the rabbi is going to yell at me if I don't go. So he says, even if they're not connected, Hashem is the one who brings the people together. He says this, he says, in other words, Hashem takes the Torah and the mitzvot that were learned and performed, not lishma, brings them to the Sadiq who has pure intentions lishma, and he combines them. The Gemara says, Machshava Tova, a good thought, Mitzrafa, it, it, it joins Lema'aseh to the action. He combines a proper thought with the actual deed. The Gemara should have said, Machshava Tova Kema'aseh, a good thought is like an action, but it says, no, Hashem actually combines the two. Hashem is the one who takes the intention of one and combines it with the act of the other. And Hashem brings it together. So we learn from this wonderful explanation that seeing as the mitzvah is completed and perfected, the, because the Sadiq has the, the lishma, he says that this person gets the entire credit. This is how Aharon fixes the neshama 
of Haran. He performs the Kedusha Hashem. He doesn't get killed. But his intent is to be willing to sacrifice his own soul. He sacrificed his life. But he didn't have the right intent. So his soul is wavering. It comes back in Aharon, who completes his act of sacrifice through what he does with the Egel. He says, Hashem intervenes. He joins it to make a, 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 the action, the action proper. So in all this, we can understand that it says, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. We're all responsible for one another. Because what does Hashem do? He takes one person's action, one person's thought, He combines it. We better understand the reasoning behind Aaron and what he's doing and how this fixes it and how Aaron, even though he's the one who goes through the whole thing of the Egel, is rewarded because he was willing to sacrifice his soul. And we have to remember for each of us that any time we're going to do something, how important our intent is. Our intent creates a reality that changes the world and creates those angels. And if you look in this week's parasha, it's very hard because we have this whole idea of creating good angels and bad angels. The beginning of the parasha, if you have time to look at the Ora Chaim, he brings with regard to counting and what David HaMelech did wrong later when he counts and how David HaMelech had made an angel that convinced David HaMelech to sin. It's unbelievable how the Torah tells us and the rabbis tell us that one act causes a second act. And, and Avera, the same way. Because what do we do? We have to realize that when we make a mitzvah, we don't realize the spiritual ramifications of what we do. When you do something, you literally create an angel. And that angel that you create has a responsibility to go in front of you. We could imagine the, the angels that were in the... I told the story that this crazy, this person who was a, a shaman came to me once with their... The, the, had a designer, a very wealthy... French client, a designer, and her shaman. And the shaman flipped out and told me, I can't stay here. And said, what, what's wrong? Said the shaman, that the shaman saw that there were, there were two things in front of me, waving swords at the shaman, fiery swords at the shaman. So the shaman said. Who knows? But every time you make a mitzvah, you create an angel, that goes out. We say, Ki because his angels I come in. What do you mean melachav? Who's angels? The angel I create, Yitzavelach, commands, right? Lishmorcha, to watch you in all your ways. Every time you do a good deed through your mind, through your actions, through thinking the proper thing, you create an angel that goes out to defend you. We should all have the angels to defend us. Amen.